As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. International breaks are pretty dull and sometimes nothing interesting ever really happens. That is that, as he did in Qatar, Takuma Asano seals Germany's fate. And he may well have sealed Hansi Flicks in the process. Well, not this international break, as Germany were thumped 4-1 at home by Japan. The following day, for the first time in their history, they sacked their manager. So, with a home European championship less than a year away, what next and who next for the German national team? I'm Ayo Akimolere. Welcome to the Athletic Football Podcast. In for this podcast, I'm joined by the Athletic's Raphael Honigstein and also Seb Stafford-Bloor. Whoa, what a weekend for German sport. On one side, the Germans are winning, winning the Basketball World Championships. Incredible. First time ever in history. On the other side, in a more traditional sense, for football, a 4-1 defeat to Japan, the same team that knocked them out of the World Cup. Rafa, just give us a little bit of a timeline of events as to how Germany have got to this point. They got to this point by uh, playing another really bad game on Saturday night. They lost 4-1 at home to Japan. And this was a game that Flick really needed to win or at least uh, show a very good performance to get another chance really to turn things around on Tuesday. Uh, so it was the final before the final, but because Germany flunked it so badly, the German FA felt that they had to make a decision. He was still allowed to take training on Sunday morning. And then Sunday lunchtime, Sunday afternoon, he was informed that uh, he'd be relieved of his duties and to sort of have the icing on the cake in a negative sense, uh, the German FA released the news of his uh, dismissal a couple of minutes before the end of the uh, Basketball World Cup final, uh, which brought a lot of negative reactions from people saying, you know, just can't we just at least have the basketball guys enjoy the, <laughs> the biggest moment without football intervening and the German FA rushing out the news. The reason they had to do that is because um, it was leaking already and they felt they couldn't wait. But yeah, it it just, it summed up the kind of shambolic condition that uh, German football is at the moment. As far as the national team is concerned, they bungled uh, the dismissal in a way. 
But more importantly, Flick has become the first ever German national manager to get fired, uh, which takes some doing uh, in an organization that is as forgiving as the German FA have been over the last few years. Yeah, we'll talk about what's going on with the German FA in just a second. But but Seb, what I mean, you, you're you're sat in Germany. What's the, what's what's the feeling um, of this national team um, from the pros uh, and the fans alike? Difficult question to answer, I because I'm not German. I'm English. I live in Germany, so I have a natural disconnect with the team and the public supporting it. But what I see and the people I do speak to seem to be split between people who are very angry, particularly on. Saturday night. There's also a lot of anger during the World Cup about things like the One Love armband issue and even Germany's decision to be there. There were people that didn't want them to go to the tournament at all. I feel also though now, and this is true in a lot of countries where club football takes precedence, people are more loyal to their region than necessarily to their country, especially in a country which is quite as big as as Germany and which is federal. Um, People seem to have Germany seems to have lost the hearts and minds of some of the public. I don't know if Rafa agrees with that, but that's that's kind of how it seems in Hamburg. People feel disenchanted. People feel like the affection that was once there perhaps isn't. It does remind me, and we, we spoke about this a little bit off air, it reminds me a little bit of the relationship that a lot of English football fans used to have with England prior to Gareth Southgate taking charge, or maybe sliding back towards that that area again, possibly. But yeah, it's um, it's troubling, and particularly so with a European Championship, home European Championship on the horizon. I think there's also a fear there that Germany might get embarrassed at their own tournament. If you go back to 2006, my wife is German. She also she often talks about how that tournament was such a, a kind of an awakening there. There was a real, it was one of the first times she remembers seeing a lot of German national pride in the country. Um, I wasn't around here to, to comment on that, but it's interesting when you have a tournament like that and the next time you return for one, you're facing such a such a contrasting situation. I understand why people are concerned. Raph, I'm just thinking about um, when Seb's talking about a disconnect with, with, with the with the team. Obviously, as an Englishman, he naturally has that disconnect. But as a nation, there's a disconnect. Do you think that disconnect also came from coach and team as well? Was there a disconnect within Flick and the players on the team? Yes, it certainly looked like that on the pitch and, and offered as well. I think that one of the most remarking, remarkable um, insights of the Amazon documentary that Seb wrote about for The Athletic was how the fact that there was no spark between Flick and the team. Flick tried to uh, be quite angry, tried to have some rhetorical tricks, tried to show them a documentary about Grey Goose, a Grey Geese. I mean, that's going to inspire anybody. That will inspire. Uh, I think a documentary about Grey Goose might have been more inspiring than Grey Geese. But... um, it it showed how Flick was incredibly limited as a communicator and it explained why I think there was never that a sense of momentum, that passion, that uh, kind of uh, drive and togetherness that you need, I think, especially as a national team. And tactics is important, of course, but often the teams who do well, they have a certain collective ethos, a spirit, a kind of, uh, yeah, togetherness that that often uh, comes or at least is encouraged by the manager. And Flick wasn't able to do so, which is a huge surprise because at Bayern, he was so successful because he got along with the players so well when he took over as interim manager initially. And the thought was that he was going to have the same effect. And of course, he started quite well. His first few games uh, did suggest that there was a new Germany and a new uh, sense of momentum um, after Löw. And they played some really good football and they, they won some 
uh, good games, and then things um, unraveled quite quickly. And that was the big surprise, I think, to see Flick exposed as somebody who just isn't very impressive um, on a man management uh, level. And I think that's the one thing you really have to be as a national manager. Yeah, I mean, Germany are are literally hosting the Euros next year. And this is a really interesting time to to be without a coach in terms of the build-up to to a tournament like that. And Raph, I'm just trying to get a sense of who those decision makers are um, because to to get rid of Flick, considering the results leading into this haven't been that great. Um, How does the DFB work? Who are the ones that say, right, it's time. I know we've given him a lot of string, but it's time to let him go. Well, they're two people essentially, but um, they are more involved. But there's a German uh, FA president, Ben Neundorf. He's not a football person. He's a former politician um, who's taken the job after um, the German FA got through a lot of presidents in recent years. Um, it's been a bit of a poison chalice, lots of scandals, lots of tax problems, economic problems, uh, scandals. Uh, Neundorf is a is a pretty pragmatic, safe pair of hands, but he's not especially charismatic and he doesn't have that football background, which is why Hans-Joachim Watzke is now the most powerful man. He's the vice chairman at the FA. He's also in the board of the Bundesliga organization and he's also the CEO of Borussia Dortmund. And uh, it's Watzke and a few people around him in the so-called task force, the likes of Matthias Sommer, Oliver Kahn, I think is still involved, at least theoretically since his dismissal from Bayern uh, and one or two others who make this decision. But it was really, it really came down to Neuendorf and Watzke. And uh, of course, Rudy Fuller is there as a sporting director at the moment. Uh, he would have uh, had a role in that as well. He will be the interim caretaker for the France game on Tuesday. But it's a good question, Ayo. And I think the, the kind of rambling answer kind of illustrates that the German FA in itself is a little bit low on on leadership and uh, is still trying to come to terms with uh, with all the problems. Money is a real issue because they they have built the equivalent of St. George's. It's taken up a lot of resources, a lot of money, uh, which is perhaps missing now when it comes to having um, bigger personalities um, like a former player taking over as a sports director. German Affairs cut a lot of corners and they end up with people who are perhaps not that impressive as a result, starting from Hannes Wolf, who's the new academy head and uh, head of youth development. Um, He's a a former coach who didn't really do much at at senior level. Um, Their attempts to get former players in like Sami Kadira or Hermet Asaka, they didn't come to fruition because money uh, as well as a lack of real influence, were just not attractive enough for these type of, of people to get involved. And that's why German FA are, look like a very uninspired organization. And that perhaps explains why they fail to inspire the, the people working for them and or the people playing for them when it comes to the national team. Yeah, I'm just listening to this and um, I'm thinking what, Obviously, before Flick, we had uh, Joachim Lowe. Um, I mean, he was there for a long time. <laughs> it was German coach for a very long time. And we're trying to look at an organisation that needs to change or is in need of change. Having a, a manager from 2006 or coach from 2006 to 2021, uh, Seb, <laughs> doesn't s- scream innovation to me. 
Well, it doesn't. But then I suppose the individual involved specifically is it depends on the performance. I think I don't think it's particularly controversial to say that Love stayed too long or that um, there's a lot of dithering over the decision around his succession plan. And then when his succession plan arrived, it was someone from within his own team, within his own sort of idol, from underneath his own philosophical umbrella. And, and so there wasn't really any sense of renewal. And I felt like there was a little bit of a tell on Saturday night with Nika Schlotterbeck was, was played on the left side as a fullback. Obviously plays for centre, uh, centre half for his club, Borussia Dortmund. And so many German friendlies, competitive games in recent times have involved a little bit of an experiment that invariably hasn't gone very well, whether it's that or Jonas Hoffmann playing as a, as a fullback on the other side to kind of cure some creative problems. And the Schlotterbeck to left back decision was just, was, you know, kind of reminiscent of the um, Betty Herbedez sort of transformation at the 2014 World Cup, where he was a centre half shifted into a fullback. And it was kind of, it was trying to find answers from the past. And Germany now, like, as an outsider looking in, it just feels very healthy for, first of all, a change in direction. Yes, a, a complete break from the love era. Absolutely, of course. But but also to find something or someone who represents something ideologically. Someone who can create the sense of what Germany are, footballing-wise, rather than a collection of players that most people have heard of, um, and turn them into something with, with some expectation, whether that be kind of high vertical, high, high pressing vertical football that someone like Nagelsmann represents, or just an, an idea that binds some of these players. Because one of the things that people say most often fairly is, this team is not the sum of its parts. Look at all of these players. And I know there are flaws. I know there are gaps in the talent production. I know there isn't really a, a world-class number nine, with all due respect, in Nicholas Fulkrug. Um, and Kai Havertz is not really nine, but that's a different podcast, isn't it? There's a lack of defensive, really solid defensive options. Fullbacks aren't overly impressive. There's a bit of an argument about where, like, Joshua Kimmich should be used, for instance. All of that, like, you can't solve all of those with a coaching appointment, but you can create a sense of direction that people want to buy into. Rafa spoke about it earlier, right? When you watch that documentary, there was so little enthusiasm for what, for where the players were. And there was so much deference to kind of the social issues and rightly, but um, there's even a point during the All or Nothing series where one of the support staff says to camera, no one's excited. We're playing a World Cup game tomorrow and no one's interested. No one's into it. No one's, no one's, no one's talking about anything other than what the right thing to say is. And on the one hand, I get that, but on another, like, it's such an obvious symptom of a stale regime, right? That you can't, that there isn't enough charisma and there aren't enough ideas in the building. And these are the things that Germany are looking for, I think. Listener, there's a brand new episode of the Totally Football Show out now. Tedious international break, not a bit of it. Hansi Flick gets sacked by Germany. Southgate selections are under fire. Scott McTominay's on fire. And Italy slip up again in Skopje. Plus Mansfield having their own goal of the season competition. Hear all about it with Daniel Storey, Tim Spears and Adrian Clark. Plus your Horncastles, your Honigsteins and your Stafford Bloors. The Totally Football Show, out now on Apple, Spotify and wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. 
Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. You know you need protein to fuel results, but it's not easy when you're drinking the same bland chalky shake every day. Stop punishing yourself and get to GNC for the best protein in the game, including all the hottest brands and crave-worthy flavors that'll keep you coming back for more. We're talking protein that legit tastes like cookies, your favorite cereals, indulgent desserts, and more. So bust out of your protein rut and actually look forward to those shakes with unbeatable protein at unbeatable prices. Fuel your fitness with protein at GNC. You're listening to The Athletic Football Podcast with Io Akimolera. An astonishing night in Wolfsburg. And the din, the chorus of boos, says it all. Hansi Flick, to all intents and purposes, surely walking away from the international Rafa, stage. I'd just like to just go back to Flick uh, for the time being. I mean, was he, was he the best candidate for the job at the time? He was an obvious candidate because he'd been very successful with the buy-in. He had a background in the German FA. He was, of course, Löw's assistant at uh, the World Cup in 2014 and had a big role in, in Germany winning that. I think he was somebody who was seen as getting along well with the players, as we mentioned, but also getting along with Oliver Bierhoff, who was the very, very powerful sport director at the time. And I think Bierhoff wanted somebody um, that he felt could maybe bring that harmonious working environment that had worked well for a time being or for a long time with, with Löw into the national team. But as we know now, I think maybe there was a reason why Flick, before becoming Bayern coach in uh, 2020, as a 55-year-old as a at the time, had never really coached at the top level ever in, in all those years. And he was one... He was able to ride the wave. He was able to make some changes for Bayern, turn back the clock tactically and get them going, but perhaps wasn't quite as well-versed and cut out for building something new. And I think it became clear that the attempt of making the German national team into Bayern Munich wasn't so straightforward. He had to be a bit more creative, had to be a bit more um, different and he never came up, as Seth said, with this idea of what this Germany was supposed to be like. And I think things really took a turn for the for the worse when he started experimenting the summer, suddenly played with a back three and made all the mistakes that Löw had made going into the Euros uh, with changing a system, really negating the few strengths that were still left in this team by putting more defensive players on, on the pitch where... Germany know they have their best players in midfield and in attack, and you take one of them away to play people as wing backs when we don't have any wing backs, or you just add more centre backs that are not very good. It was an absolutely crazy move. And if it hadn't been for those three games in June, I think we'd still be talking about Flick being the manager now and having more time. But those three games really destroyed any sort of confidence in him, both from the public, but I think also from the players. Because if you cannot trust your manager to bring out the best um, of you as a team, to use your strengths best, to negate your weaknesses, uh, but to actually exacerbate problems, to add problems, to add to the confusion with systems that weren't very well devised and looked all very half-baked, then at that moment you lose the dressing room and things get completely, yeah, things break down. And I, I think that's what happened. And that's why Flick was already on such thin ice that it took only one game against Japan 
era to be over. I always love watching um, managers. I know it's really bad of me, especially when things aren't going wrong. When uh, you can clearly see the side isn't operating, camera cuts to them and it's sort of uh, just looking down and going, oh, what, what do I need to change? And you sort of know that the writing's on the wall at that point. Um, but before we move on to sort of likely candidates, just a quick one on this, Rafa. You know this all or nothing documentary. What on earth were they thinking it would achieve? A team that's under pressure, to perform a manager that's you're not quite sure about so you're going to add an extra grenade to the thing in a major tournament and have a camera crew in the background <laughs> videoing it and actually the stuff you do put out isn't that expiring like what 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 was a stroke of genius here or what was what was trying to be achieved here i'm just trying to understand well first of all i think the money was really good in the german FA. <laughs> all right fair enough take the money right, yeah, probably okay. felt it was too good to turn down B, I thought there was, if perhaps not massive optimism, but at least a healthy anticipation of a half-decent Germany uh, campaign at the World Cup. I would have shared that optimism. I thought that they were um, good enough to get the you know, quarterfinals. And then you are saying, fine, this is Flick's first tournament. Uh, let's give him more time to really build something great for the Euros. I think that was the idea. And of course, it, it didn't finish like that because of ultimately 20 bad minutes against Japan. That's the the big irony is that Germany didn't play a massively bad World Cup game by game, but of course, getting knocked out then makes it very difficult for somebody to stay in the job, especially when the months afterwards don't suggest that things get any better. But in fact, the opposite, things got worse progressively after the World Cup. And that's why Flick fell on the sword. But yeah, um, in hindsight, of course, not a great idea. The German FA explained once they signed off on it, they couldn't control, A, the content, nor the release date. And, uh, of course, it fatally undermined Flick to all of that to come out this week because people saw that he was a little bit um, like the Wizard of Oz, uh, you know, the man behind the curtain with not a lot going on uh, for himself, unfortunately. Okay, a lot of this screams of uh, a, a much more older traditional establishment trying to be somewhat modern and not quite getting it right. But actually, this brings me on to my next question. You, you've now got this vacant spot for for a, a new coach, right? Um, and with all this in mind, learning from past issues, um, but still fundamentally similar people on the board sitting there making this decision. Who are the likely candidates coming in? Um, I know Nagelsmann's been mentioned, and, and obviously I'd love to talk about the association with Jurgen Klopp, who I've known there's there's a lot of conversation around. So between the two of you, I'd, I'd love to just bat this around. Seb, start with you. Uh, what are you hearing? And anything about who might take the place of uh, the new coach? Well, the names will be familiar to everybody. Obviously, we've talked about Nagelsmann. Oliver Glasner has been a name mentioned too. Obviously, um, did wonderful work at Wolfsburg, but also more recently at Eintracht, won the Europa League. That's uh, That would certainly be an appointment which should promise some, some attractive football. Whether it's um, the right one, I'm, I'm not quite sure. I Matthias Sammer is a really interesting one because that's a, that's a real departure in terms of the way uh, the DFB seems to be thinking about the national team. But I, I think more importantly, um, I think the overarching issue is, is not necessarily the identity of the person. It's just the fresh air into the building because so many of Germany's basics are poor. Like they can't defend in their own box. They can't create chances. They play with absolutely no confidence whatsoever. Like the important thing to me, um, Rafa may disagree. The important thing to me is now decisiveness about what comes next. 
when I was watching the punditry after the game, um, Lota Mateus was was um, was in the studio or a pitch side for RTL, who was a, who were a national broadcaster, and his face was changing color with anger as he was describing the situation. A lot of it was aimed towards the DFB and kind of the lack of an idea and the lack of a plan and. There was even a kind of an unwitting nod to it in the statement announcing Flick's departure when, among some other quotes from Rudy Voller, he just said, we have to do something. It was read in a certain way. It was kind of like, well, yeah, but no one seems to know what it is. So just a little bit of, you know, um, firm decision making at the moment seems to be the most valuable commodity. The one that everybody wants is, of course, Jurgen Klopp. Uh, He's not going to do it. Certainly not now. Uh, That leaves you with... Probably one outstanding candidate, that's Julian Nagelsmann. And Julian Nagelsmann is available, but... Is it right for him, uh, national team football? In a way, the problems that Hansi had could well play out again with with Julian, because Julian is not a great man-manager. Julian's problem was really connecting with a lot of these players. I had a good relationship with Joshua Kimmich and with Leon Goretzka. Never really lost the dressing room at Bayern as such, in, in a sort of classic sense, but never really connected with the player as much either. While I think technically he would bring a lot of expertise and uh, real tactical sophistication to the table, the question is how much of that can you actually bring onto the pitch, considering the limited time you have with these players as national manager, and how does it work on an emotional level where things were a little bit, uh, where he fell a little bit short, in my view. Has he learned from that? Can he add that to his coaching? Then I think he would be a fantastic manager. So it's not the ideal situation or the ideal solution, but I think still is the best available. The other, as uh, as uh, Seb said, is, is Matthias Samuel is completely different, uh, very old school, played a big role in, in helping Germany sort themselves out uh, 20 years ago. And was quite innovative in some of the things he did as a, a German FA sporting director at the time. But he hasn't coached since 2002, uh, 2002-3. He hasn't really shown any inclination uh, of coaching. And after some health scare uh, a few years ago, has actually vowed not to be in a in a front row um, position anymore. So it would be a big departure for him to take this job. Oliver Glasner, I think, would be a real sensational appointment for the fact that he's Austrian. And I think the German FA cannot be seen to appoint uh, a foreigner. I think that would be uh, a real admission that uh, we don't have anyone capable of coaching the national team. We have to now go for And some people mentioned Louis van Gaal as well, um, which, again, I, I cannot see that happening. Um, I think the German FA will be too proud and too wary of the backlash uh, when it comes to appointing a foreigner. So I don't think that's that's going to happen. First, the bad news. SAP Business AI won't help you generate Cubist versions of your family's holiday photos. But it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia or identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks and automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations so you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology, real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. 
That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly, it's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. You're listening to the Athletic Football Podcast with Io Akinwalere. I'm just thinking, it, is this more indicative of a, of a national identity? And it's very hard to say that, you know, um, everyone's the same in Germany. But, you know, this idea that let's just keep doing what we do. We do it well, but let's just keep doing what we do. But unfortunately, society moves on, football moves on. Innovation has to be brought in. We, I remember the last time we were talking about uh, Bayern Munich um, having to do something outlandish, like bringing in Harry Kane, someone they've never ever thought of bringing in the past, you know, not necessarily German. I know Lewandowski wasn't German either, but very different to the profile of player they usually look for. Isn't there a screaming idea that the German FA really need to do something incredibly outlandish now? And is there enough time ahead of a major tournament to do so? Well, there's an obvious need, Ayu, but I think one of the things that surprised me when I moved out here was learning how inward um, looking German football society is. If you, if you look recently, for instance, at the the list of managers appointed by Bundesliga clubs, what you tend to see is kind of something like the Premier League maybe 10, 15 years ago where it's a lot of the same guys getting the same jobs and there's a real reluctance to to give some of those jobs to, to foreign coaches. Part of that is concern about the language, but also that's just the nature of the beast. For instance, like when, when Leverkusen appointed Jabby Lonso, a sensation, and not just because really... Um, world-class player, you know, uh, interesting, intriguing coaching future, those kind of things. Um, So it's difficult. But then, like you've mentioned, the cost of doing that is if you are quite insulated from the rest of the world and these other ideas, they're not going to seep into your culture. And um, I'll embarrass him here, but if you read Rafa's book about the first time German football reinvented reinvented itself, like he notes a lot of the things that had become outdated in German football. There was a lot of trust in, for instance, the sweeper system, long after it had kind of faded from um, from pertinence around the rest of the world. And it's not quite as easy. Like, it's not, you're always going to have a little bit of difficulty in accepting or allowing other ideas through or accepting even that some of your own thinking has become a little bit outdated. If that is even the case, I think there's more than one issue here. And, you know, there's more than one problem to navigate. And, you know, to me also, that centre-forward problem is, Yes, literally an issue with finding a number nine, but it's also indicative of the fact that German football has started to produce a very homogenous sort of player, um, particularly attacking player. And when it creates a Jamal Musiala or you know a Florian Wirtz, fabulous, fantastic. But when you're trying to kind of fill slots in a team, not so great, not so great. And so um, there needs to be a lot of new thinking in a lot of different ways. And Germany will find that hard. I, I don't quite think that we're in a situation where German football has to reinvent itself. Okay. Some obvious problems um, in some of the things that Seb has mentioned and youth development things have gone a little bit wrong. Uh, reforms are starting, but they're not supported by everyone. Even Watzke himself seems to be against the reform that his own FA has embarked upon when it comes to a very young uh, players and the kind of uh, football forms they are supposed to to learn to be more individual more creative on the ball but 
I don't think we need necessary wholesale changes in the revolution, but we certainly need a few tweaks. And I think that um, over the last 10 years, things have been going almost too smoothly and there'll be some soul searching to do. But I don't think this necessarily concerns the national team. I think the national team, when you think of a nation of 83 million people, irrespective of what happens anywhere else, you should a find 15 16 players good enough to this <laughs> level and a coach yeah. one coach good enough to take all this talent and form them into a national team i mean we're not in a situation where german footballers are so bad that they're no longer involved in a champions league and all we see them play for is you know and some domestic small sides and uh, and where are the big german players we have a lot of big German players. We have Nilkay Gundogan, who's the captain or was the captain of Manchester City. We have Champions League winners in Kimmich, Goretzka. We have Leroy Sané. We have some really strong players like Antonio Rudiger plays for Real Madrid. You know, why is it that these guys, when they wear the white shirt, can't play football anymore? So I, I don't buy into this idea that uh, we're not producing any players and uh, everything needs to change. But at the very top, I think a lot would be helped by just having somebody who's very competent when it comes to coaching a team. We haven't had that, unfortunately, for a long time. And that's why this crisis, this sense of crisis, and the sense of German football not going anywhere um, has been has become entrenched sort of in the public psyche because you have to go back to 2016, which is seven years before you find a German national team playing competently at a big European tournament or a big tournament full stop and that is far too long for a footballing nation like Germany and we need to change that and I think once you change that with a half decent performance at the Euros then we have a less much less emotionally charged debate about things going right or wrong and where the model needs to be tweaked at the moment everything's seen through the prism of the German national team playing really badly but I think it kind of distorts the wider argument slightly because people always look at what happens at the top then try to find explanations further down the chain why this thing's happened but i'm not sure the correlation really exists to that extent yeah what do you think of what seb said about the sort of the the, the lack of attacking potency um kai havertz comes off High fives, Thomas Muller. I mean, Muller's a great player, but, you know, at 33, is he the one to lead the line for, for Germany's forward forwards? Um, I mean, you look at, I mean, I know he's a late bloom and it might be outlandish and maybe he might make the Euros, you know, uh, Kevin Behrens from uh, Union Berlin. Uh, that would be a, that would be one of my greatest stories, actually, if he ends up being like star striker in a, in um in the Euros, but wh- why do you think uh, Germany are lacking uh, a real solid centre forward in, in in that position, or has the game moved on? Do we even need uh, a classic number nine anymore when it comes to tournament football? It's very difficult to, difficult to explain. I think there is something as, as uh, explained in the way that German football has developed players. A lot of managers wanted players to be very technical, to be um, very versatile you know, able to play different positions at the same time. And when you have specialists like centre-backs or centre-forwards who are perhaps not that skillful on the ball, um, but do one specific job very well, these players maybe get li- left a little bit behind in the system. I think they're beginning to address it. I think it's probably going to take another three or four years before we see different players coming through as that flaw is being addressed. But for the time being, Germany have to 
make do and have to find different solutions. I mean, uh, we have teams being successful without necessarily having an orthodox number nine. They have a smaller center forwards or they play with white players that uh, make up the gap or they play with a force nine. I still think that a team like Germany with all the potential that they have going forward should find solutions. It might be more difficult finding solutions as we saw even for FC Bayern last year than having the number nine that's going to score goals even when things don't play out so well for you on the pitch. But I don't think it can be seen as an excuse. Um, national football is always about addressing your your problems. You cannot go and buy a left back. You cannot go and buy a centre forward. You have to find solution within your existing pool of players. And what Germany did so well up until 2016 is to find solutions. They found solutions in the fullback situations where there always was only one Philip Lahm and they were always looking for the other Philip Lahm, but they found solutions. They found solutions, even though they didn't have a natural holding midfielder. Uh, they changed the system before 2014 to become a bit more, more pragmatic and uh, have more balance. They played with four centre-backs, you know, to give Pep Guardiola inspiration years later. <laughs> and uh, they did all these things, understanding that you're not going to have the perfect starting 11 at international level, even when you're Germany. That kind of pragmatism and finding the right solution, that's been missing in recent years. And I think if somebody who is quite a lateral thinker, like Julian Nagelsmann, who a little bit like Pep Guardiola sometimes sees something in players that they don't necessarily realize themselves and can maybe develop players the way he used to do at uh, Leipzig and at Hoffenheim, can maybe find one or two innovative tweaks for that. I think that we'll see a huge uplift in, in performances quite quickly. I still believe in this in this group of players. I still believe that there is a real team there that just needs to be both emotionally but tactically put in the right kind of frame of mind and the right framework uh, to succeed. And that just hasn't happened in recent years. Yeah. Um, I, I like that. You, there's a bit of optimism here. Let's, let's, let's move away from the slight negativity, but you know, room for improvement. I think that's pretty much what you just said, Rafa, but I'm interested from the two of you, obviously as, as a German national, uh, Rafa, and also Seb as a, as a visitor to Germany. Um, what you think the immediate future looks like for, for, for this German squad? You know, I mean, no national team is immune to dipping in form. Spain, Italy, England. Uh, I mean, the, the, the list goes on Brazil. Um, but, you know, as with the, you know, 2014 World Cup, you know, nationally, not many people thought Brazil were going to do that well. And naturally, they didn't do that well in that tournament. What do you think it looks like from a fan's perspective, from a German perspective, um, ahead of this, this Euro tournament. Football's interesting though, isn't it? Because things can change extremely quickly, especially the mood. Um, I think a change in appointment, also the nature of the appointment um, and what it represents will hopefully help in that regard. At the same time, I think there are also some pretty easy structural changes that can be made within the side. I'd like to see Leon Goreska play, uh, call back into the squad just because... Another body in the penalty box. Um, I think that's always going to be useful. Manuel Neuer will be fit again, not for the next international break, but for the new year. That's important. Win a couple of games, change the story, and all of a sudden um, that mood will become a lot more positive. Also, I don't think a sort of a one of the problems for Qatar. One of the problems for Qatar. There are a lot of problems with Qatar. There's a lot of issues that the German public struggled with. 
I think um, it seemed to feel very far away for a lot of people and out of sight, out of mind. I think they lost something like 9 million people out of their, their TV audience on average for each game. When you have a tournament at home, I think it's much, much easier to get caught up in it. Like the games are being spread around Germany. They're in the south or in the north or in the center, you know, um, Eastern Berlin, of course, as well. Um, I think if you give people a reason um, to be optimistic, generally in football, also life, generally they'll, they'll try and take it. So you just need to give them an excuse. And I, so I don't think that kind of the disconnect is a terminal situation. It just, it's really important that people get the right decisions right now, I think. I agree with Seb. I think things could change quite quickly if somehow Rudy Ferda as interim coach would coax out the performance of this team and maybe even the result and all the popularity that he still enjoys would come to the forefront. We might even see sort of a groundswell of opinion saying he should now take over. He clearly connects with the team. I don't think it will happen, but it's not impossible. But at the very least, if the team can suggest some sort of new start, some sort of uh, momentum under new ownership and uh, new leadership and and then the appointment of somebody else ahead of the games in October. I think there's still enough time to both develop uh, a better a team but also to to change the public mood quite quickly. Um, we see at the moment a real sense of defeatism, uh, real pessimism, real fear, about the Euros going very, very badly. But we saw all these things in March 2006 with only three months to go before the World Cup when we saw how everything changed and 2006 became this uh, this wonderful experience and this wonderful outpour of, of positive emotion. And I still believe that uh, it can happen. There's enough time for somebody new to, to change the dynamics, uh, even though they've lost a lot of time keeping Flick on, as we know now, in hindsight. Yeah, let's leave it there. Rafa, Seb, thanks so much for your time. And also, you lot, remember, if you're enjoying the pod, then you can leave us a quick review on Apple or Spotify. And don't forget to hit follow or subscribe so you never miss an episode. You can also read more from these two and the rest of our amazing writers on The Athletic. Just sign up today for a special limited time offer of just £1 a month for 12 months at theathletic.com forward slash football pod. Thank you so much for listening. You've been listening to the Athletic Football Podcast. The producers were Adonis Pratsides and Guy Clark, with additional production by Mike Stavro and Jay Beal. The executive producer was A.D. Moorhead. To listen to other great Athletic Football Podcasts for free, search for The Athletic on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places and head to theathletic.com slash footballpod for the very latest subscription offers. The Athletic Football Podcast is an Athletic Media Company production. The Athletic.